This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We're in Hebrews chapter 12 today. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I like this quote from George Kennan. He says, Heroism is endurance for one moment more. And that is so much of what the Hebrew writer is saying and of what the whole letter is about, persevering and enduring through difficult times, through persecution, through various trials. And the writer here is appealing back to the great cloud of witnesses that he's just discussed in chapter 11. Sometimes we refer to that you know, as the Hall of Fame of Faith or the Heroes of Faith chapter, where all those examples are put before us, like Abel and Noah and Abraham and others who uh, endured great travesties in very difficult times, yet they gained approval by their faith. They endured fatigue and beatings, oppression, uh, conspiracies. But even though they suffered those things and even died, sometimes horrifically, at the hands of terrible people or under difficult circumstances, they still loved and served God until the very end. Despite the terrible events and the difficulty of their lives, the writer says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, they died in faith, having gained God's approval through their faith in verse 39. And so the Holy Spirit is calling us in this letter, in this part of the Bible, to do the same, to consider their examples and, and let those examples spur us on to endurance. To live by faith as they did, to, to run the race, and then not just run the race, but finish strong. Because if Christians are going to have spiritual success, one of the first things we have to do, as he says here in verse 1, is we have to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin, he says, which so easily entangles us. So anything that hinders us from running the race is sin. And it may not be something that's inherently sinful, that God has called uh, sinful, like lying or uh, you know, living uh, deceitfully or, or being unscripturally married or something like this. Uh, it could be things that we just enjoy uh, doing or that aren't, again, wrong in and of themselves, but they become that way because we've allowed them to be obstacles to serving God. We're giving them more time and more energy and more resources than we are uh, into serving our God. Maybe we're trying to, we're, maybe we're just enamored with hastening our wealth. For example, that's just eating us, and it's we're thinking about it all the time and uh, trying different uh, things, and we have just left no time for serving God, worshiping Him, uh, the spiritual disciplines of prayer, uh, praying with our family, studying God's Word with our family. So, you know, that's just one example of, of, of many that can become uh, such a distraction to the point, as Jesus says in Matthew 13, they're choking, they're choking the Word, they're they're choking the, and so the, we're not getting the nourishment from the word that we need. And they're just weighing us down unnecessarily. And we need to be done with them because it's not worth losing our souls over. And so the Holy Spirit is calling us 
to lay those things aside. Whatever the encumbrance is, whatever is entangling us, resolve to put it aside and, and continually have that disposition, right? Have that con- that resolve continually uh, and be discerning enough and honest enough to know, well, this is something that I'm letting get in, get in the way of my service serving God. And then the Holy Spirit goes on to talk about uh, where our focus should be, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit says, fix your eyes on Jesus, right? So again, in terms of priorities, you know, often our attitudes and behavior and thinking are not what they should be because we have the wrong focus. We're again enamored with the wrong things when what we need to do is just reorient ourselves and not be fixated on the here and now and everything that's gone wrong or uh, or from a positive standpoint, not everything that's gone wrong, but maybe just things that we want, like we just talked about. Or we could go back to how unfair the world is, and we just lose sight. One way or another, we lose sight of what really matters and where ultimately we, where we need to be focused on our Lord and loving and serving Him to the best of our ability. No one has ever or will ever serve God better than Jesus did or more than Jesus did. And so He's our perfect example. He loved and serve God to the point of death. And so we need to look at him and remember what's recorded about him and the challenges that he faced and how he confronted people and and how he endured the hostility of the sinners that he was surrounded by uh, and yet prevailed. And that's what the Hebrew writers is wanting us to remember. We can know it can, it, it can be done because he did it. And he's on our side, as he's previously discussed in, in chapters 2 through 4, and how Jesus is our intercessor, Hebrews 7.25 uh, and he wa- he wants to help us in this regard because no one has ever suffered the way he did. And so he can and, and should inspire his people and encourage his people as we look to him. Uh, the, in verse 2, the, the writer says, consider him. Consider him. In other words, reflect on him. Think about his life, his character, uh, what motivated him. Think about his promises that he, that he made to his people, his love. And that implies, as I mentioned a moment ago, looking at what's recorded about him. So all that to say, if we're not immersed in the gospel and think and have that knowledge at our fingertips and be able to recall it and reflect on it, we're not going to be able to consider him. We're not going to be able to encourage, be encouraged by his example, be motivated by his example. So let's talk about that for a little bit. What what drove Jesus to serve the way that he did? Well, in this text, we, we get at least one thing. In verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and he despised the shame. So why would he die so horribly and suffer for others? Well, the Hebrew writer is saying is there was joy that he was looking forward to. And we might think and scratch our heads for a second because we know prophecy says in Isaiah 53 that he was going to be a man of sorrows and he was going to be well acquainted with grief and stricken and all these different things that are said there. And he was. He absolutely was. He, But he was also a man of joy despite those sorrows and grief that he knew so well and that he experienced here. Prophecy called him the man of sorrows, yet he was focused on... he what was coming he was looking forward to the joy that was to come and so therein he's he's our example we're, we're faced with hardship we're faced with turmoil or betrayal or whatever challenges um we, we find ourselves in that the enemy wants to use to tear us down 
Are we going to respond the way that Jesus did? Are we going to fixate on the joy to come? Or are we going to start to feel sorry for ourselves? Right, the Hebrew writers calling us, don't fall into that trap, but rather fix our eyes on him, just as he did. Just as he looked forward to the joy that he would have in eternity and in this new kingdom and, and being able to save people in the, and, and provide people with a home in heaven. So, yes, he was a man of sorrows, he, but he also knew the intrinsic value and joy of what was coming and also of serving. He knew uh, that there was delight and peace to be found in, in conforming to God's will. You know, if God created us and uh, because God created us, he knows what's best for us and, and he knows uh, how we're going to be happy and what's going to make us happy. And there's no greater happiness or joy that we can have apart from him from himself. And so he calls us to, ha- to have fellowship with him. We were made to have fellowship with him. And that's what we see in Jesus is that th- this constant pursuit of conforming to God's will because he wanted to abide in the Father's love. And there was joy in that. So when we demonstrate the same obedience and love toward him and to others, we find and experience for ourselves the truth in these words of John 13, 17. Jesus says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Right now, he's not talking about just a constant emotional high, you know, and, and feeling good all the time. Not even Jesus himself was like that, right? But biblical joy um, transcends the, any sorrow that we may have here. So that doesn't mean that sorrow is going to be taken away or that we're going to be shielded from just feeling really bad sometimes and really sad because of, you know, maybe we lose a loved one or, uh, you know, there's there's some other tragedy that, that happens or, you know, we're ill and we have this chronic disease or something like that. That's going to make us feel physically bad and emotionally it's going to be taxing. But biblical joy can cut through all of that. And we can have joy despite and we can have peace despite the terrible things uh, that can happen to us in this life. Because there's joy in serving. There's joy in remembering what God has promised to those who remain faithful despite the trials of this life. You know, and sometimes we rob ourselves of joy because we know uh, in our heart that we're not doing our very best. We know that God has promised joy to those who serve and peace to those who serve and the full realization of hope to those who serve, Hebrews 6 and verse 10. And so if we know that in our heads and we understand that biblically, and yet at the same time we know, well, I'm not doing I'm not doing my best. Maybe I am distracted. Maybe I am weighed down with and entangled in, in some sin, or I've let something be, in my life become a huge distraction, and I'm not fixing my eyes on Jesus, and I'm not doing my absolute best to serve the way that he did. But we're, then we're going to know that I have no right to hope. I have no right to peace. I have no right to, to joy that God is speaking about. And so we rob ourselves that way rob ourselves of those things in in that way. You know, some of the most miserable Christians are those who understand what what the Bible says, but because they're not wholeheartedly committed, they still want to keep their toe in the world, they're miserable because the world can't bring them any any lasting joy and and peace. And they're not wholly committed to God and to His Son and, and their will, His will. So uh, they're not deriving any joy or peace from that. And they're just miserable. So the way out, again, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Be done with whatever is standing in the way. And be resolved and determined to follow him. 
and to bear up just as he did under trials, even when you're being squeezed from all sorts of angles by the enemy. Just continue in prayer, continue in the discipline of Bible study, and certainly find whatever avenues you can to, to serve. And by the way, what are we to make of these trials that come? The Hebrew writer makes another point here in chapter 12 that's very important. And he's consistent along with other New Testament writers in, in describing uh, trials and tribulations as a kind of training or discipline. Your Bible might say discipline. But the idea is really more of uh, of training. And let's just read that text together to, to get a better idea of uh, what, he's, what he's talking about here, where, where he's going. He says in verse 4, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And so he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we might share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so that that text is a lot of times invoked in discussions and studies about uh, parenting and, you know, what should motivate our discipline of of our children. And we sometimes think of discipline almost exclusively as um, punitive. So we just think about discipline as punishment and, you, you know, how can I train my children by... Uh, you know, as God did with his people, sometimes removing privileges, sometimes even inflicting pain uh, in order to steer them to where they needed to be, to save them from making terrible, more terrible choices and to show that that wasn't his uh, his will for them to suffer. Uh, even in church discipline, you know, you see that kind of that punitive element, First Corinthians 5. Um, but that's not specifically what the writer is talking about here. It sounds like it, but... I think verse 12, uh, verse 11, rather, um, helps us understand he's talking about training, right? That God allows difficult things. He's reminding us that bad things happen to his people, and that's okay, but you should regard this as a training exercise that's born out of God's love. In other words, he can use those things and does use those things to shape us into more godly people, right? He disciplines us, verse 10, for our good that we might share in his holiness, And also, it yields, in verse 11, uh, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Right? So, we have to see these things. Furthermore, he says, it's also a testimony of our genuine sonship. So, every test, whatever difficulty is coming our way, it can ultimately produce greater patience and greater endurance. And also, uh, remind us of God's love. If we respond to it in the appropriate way. Because God's discipline is never arbitrary. It's never misguided. It's never done out of uh, passion or emotion, perhaps like those of our own parents, because, you know, we're, we're human. But 
What he allows to happen for our training and discipline is always exactly what we need to make us better people. Again, he disciplines us for our good. So God wants us to get back on the right track and away from, um, you know, again, just being eat up and enamored with unnecessary uh, things of this world that can harm us spiritually. And so he goes on to give us this admonition in verses 12 and 13. He says, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet. And so he's saying it's not too late. In other words, we can all still get back on track if we we need to, if we have allowed ourselves to get distracted and entangled, if we're not focused on what we need to be focused on. We don't have a heavenly mindset. We're not fixing our eyes on Jesus. We can still get back on track. We can rid ourselves of all the handicaps that we've placed on us or our families. And so we have to make the choice. You know, in the midst of this exhortation, God has a has a warning. He says, see to it, in verse 15, that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. And so he wants us, again, to have a clear understanding of the consequences. There's this clear teaching, and God is saying, you know, don't, dig in your heels when you hear this and continue to pull away and move them in the wrong direction but reorient completely don't let a root of bitterness arise within you so that there is so now that you're you're fighting against the will of God and you're resisting it uh, roots of bitterness, if not contained and dealt with, are, are going to spill over onto everybody. It's going to upset the peace that you have with God, first of all, and the fellowship that you have with Him, but also it, uh, the peace of, with your brethren, relationships, the whole congregation can be effective. And so we have to be clear on the reality of our spiritual condition. The Hebrew writer singles out one example in verse 16. He says that there be no more like godless person like Esau, who he says was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. And that's the second part of the warning, isn't it? God is saying, you know, if you continue down this path and you don't consider that great cloud of witnesses and you don't take advantage of the assets that God has put before you to, to endure and to be encouraged through his word, specifically the greatest asset and motivator, his son, the example of his son, considering him, well, then you may find yourself in a place where there's you're just out of time and there's no, there's no room for repentance, no matter how desperately we may desire it. And we don't want to end up at that, in that point. We don't want to forsake our inheritance for passing pleasures for a more easier, convenient way of life, or just so we can get along with our boss better. We don't want to compromise, but we want to have resolve to look at the author and perfecter of our faith and say, He is the way, and I need to conform to His will. I need to submit to Him, and I need to repent and ask Him to help me. And He promises He will. Don't harden yourself to the point of rejection. 
There's always a way back. But we have to make the choice to return. Well, I appreciate your good attention today and uh, hope you found this study helpful. It's been good for me to go through this series in Hebrews. We have just a couple of lessons left and hope you'll join me again. Thanks for studying with me. This has been Faithful Sayings 